in Chapel Hill and different things like that. So it's an honor to be with you. I want to hopefully leave a deposit of an encouraging word with you this morning as we share from the gospel. We've got a beautiful campus. Uh, this is my first time actually being able to be in Lynchburg, Virginia. It's a very, very beautiful place, and the driving was easy. Oh, I don't like seven lanes and all that kind of traffic, so uh, God bless to make it real, real easy on me here today. I want to open up with prayer, and then I just want to be real relaxed because we're all spiritual family, right? We're all spiritual family, and so we just want to take a moment to acknowledge the Lord, and then we just want to hear what He wants to speak to us this morning. Father, we worship You today, Lord. Thank You for the opportunity to gather together in Your presence. And Father, we desire uh, to hear from You today, that You would speak to us, that You would awaken in our hearts the things that You desire to bring forth in our lives. We thank You for each and every person today. We thank You for this church. We ask God that You would speak and bless and prosper in every way and all for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, you guys have to help me out a little bit because so, I like response, okay? So give me a good, uh, come on, brother. All right. Now, how about on this side over here? Cause preach it, preach it. Okay, all right. All right. Now, I like a little participation. It's not just me, it's us together today, and um, I want to minister to you from Psalm 27, as I was praying over coming up and being with you guys, you know, you spend time in prayer, and you really want God to really give you what he wants to communicate, and I read this psalm, and it really just came alive in my own heart, and so I want to minister that to you today. There's a uh, kind of a concept that God's been teaching me this year. And it stems from a quote by A.W. Tozer, uh, who said, What comes into your mind when you think about God's the most important thing about you? Now, I know there's a lot of things that we like to identify us or make people recognize us, you know, how we look, how smart we are, all those kinds of things. But he said, The most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. So do you believe he loves you? Do you believe he cares for you? Do you believe he's with you? Because how we believe and think about the Lord is, is going to determine how we're going to respond to him. And so if we honor God and think God's of great value and he's an awesome and significant person in our life, then we're going to respond to God in that way. If we think that God's aloof and distant and far off and is not concerned about what we do or how we live, then we'll respond to him in that same way. But the good news is we, as followers of Christ, have the, the opportunity to be like King David. And I hope everybody's kind of familiar with the story of David or his personality. If you look with me in Psalms, beginning at verse 4, it says, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. Now, that's an awesome statement, and it's an awesome prayer. And if you read a little bit further in Psalms 27, that's one of my favorite passages of Scripture that says, the Lord is my light. 
and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Do we live in a time when there's fears and uncertainties that are all around us? How about the upcoming election this year? I guarantee you there's some fears, uncertainties that are embracing America as we get ready to enter a year with uh, two candidates that, well, we won't say any more about that. So, but David says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And he goes on and says, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I want you to understand that our view of God is so significant. David views God as his light, his illumination, the one that lighted his path. Have you ever had a difficult situation uh, in your life, a uh, a decision that you had to make, and you needed clear, accurate, precise direction, counsel, and advice, the Lord is my light and my salvation. See, that's the relationship that David had with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I want us to have that kind of relationship today. And looking, and I want to dissect verse 4 just a little bit. It says, one thing I've desired of the Lord, and that I'm going to seek after, and it's that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, David was a, a king, and I tried to do a little research to see when he wrote this, if he was king at that time or if he was in the process of becoming king. But if you know his story, God called him to be king when he was a, a young boy, before he ever uh, met Goliath. And then as he, his journey proceeded on, uh, he came out and he killed Goliath. And he, uh, while everybody else in Israel was afraid of that big giant, David went out and took him on and he, he killed him. And Saul made him a part of his army. And so David grew in stature and in reputation and in honor with the people of Israel. And Saul began to be jealous of David. And he, you know, chased him and tried to kill him. And then he would hide with the Philistines and all these different people. He'd hide out in caves, but he had that promise that he was going to be king. Well, he could say that there's one thing I desire is that I want to have the best foreign policy when I became the king of Israel, that I'll know exactly how to lead this nation against all of of our enemies. He could have said, there's one thing I desire of the Lord, and I just want to be the most prosperous person the most prosperous king in all of Israel. He says, there's one thing I desire. I might want to have all the great horses and the biggest and the strongest army. But he said, there's one thing I desire. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I want to behold his beauty. I want to inquire in his temple. Can you see? Now, most of us, I don't don't know what kind of desires and aspirations you might have or what status you've already come to in life, but it's the main thing that we desire and the main thing that we want in life is to be in the presence of God. I tell you, there's nothing like it. There's no substitute for what God's presence can do in a person, in an individual's life, in a congregation's life. There's nothing that can compare to the presence of God. And he says, that's the one thing I desire, and that's what I'm going to seek the Lord that I can have in my life. Now, the presence of the Lord is a term that that, that, that 
the house of the Lord is a term that represents God's presence. In the Old Testament, Moses, when he brought the children of Israel out into the, the, the wilderness and they were learning how to relate to God, uh, Moses just had a simple tent. And you know the story, hopefully, that uh, Israel went out and Moses went up into the mountain. How many know how, many, how long he was up there? Forty days and forty nights. So he was receiving a revelation of God's way to make a new society for the children of Israel. And so they got tired of waiting on Moses and they said, make us some gods that we can worship and lead us out of here. So God got upset with them. He said, Moses, those people that you brought out here from Egypt are stiff-necked and I'm not going with you into the promised land that I told Abraham and Isaac and Jacob I was going to give them. And so Moses would pitch the tent of meeting. They called it the tent of meeting outside the camp because God was, because if I come among these people, I'm going to wipe them out. They're complaining, they're griping, they're not grateful for all I'm doing for them. So I'm going to wipe them out. So Moses pitched the tent outside the camp and he would go out and when anybody that needed to seek or inquire of God had a problem in their life, they would see Moses go into that tabernacle, and what would happen? The cloud would descend on the tabernacle, and Moses and God would talk face to face. Somebody say amen. I don't know if you've had that kind of experience, but I long to have those kinds of experience with the living God. That his presence descends, and he gives counsel, he gives guidance, he helps me make decisions about life and struggles that I'm having. And so his presence would come there. And the scripture says that anyone that wanted to inquire of the Lord would come to that tent. So there's one thing that we should desire, and that's to have God's presence. Now the New Testament says in 1 Corinthians 3.18 that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, that you are the temple of God. That blows my mind. We're the temple of God. The Spirit of God lives inside of us. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I have some, somewhat of a, a challenge because in today's society, there's so many things that bid for our time, that bid for our attention, that uh, bid for our finances. There's all kinds of good causes and good things that are constantly knocking at our door, constantly wanting our time and constantly wanting our attention. You know, and some of them are good things. I used to work at a community college and I used to, to be on a board. Uh, it was called the More, called More Health. And we used to actually help like nonprofits come up with uh, healthy ways of living, healthy lifestyles, food, eating, drugs, and all that type of stuff. We'd come up with financial resources to help agencies help people in the community. And, and when I came on full-time as a pastor, my life got so busy and involved with um, the things of the church that I had to, like, let that go. I had, to, I had to cut it off. Not because it wasn't a good thing, but it wasn't the main thing. You know? And I, I thought about two little illustrations. Now, my wife has a nice purse, so I'm not just going to pick on the ladies. But have you ever been looking for uh, a piece of uh, lipstick or whatever it might be, fingernail clipper in your purse, and there's so much stuff in there, it's like, oh my gosh, Where, where's my lipstick? Where's my, where's my fingernail clipper? And you can spend times, uh, 
hours just trying to get in there and find that piece of li that lipstick. I say for men, it's the toolbox. And they got that one special wrench that they need, but they can't find it because there's so much other stuff cluttered through there. What God wants us to do is he wants us to simplify. He wants us to simplify our life. He wants us to simplify our hearts. There's so many things that compete for our affections. God wants us to remove those out of the way and let him become the one thing that we desire more than anything else. There's a little quote. Um, let, me, let me back up here just a minute. Um, often it's not the evil things in life that rob us of our time. Rather, the temptation is to sacrifice what's best for what's good. The, the devil knows that if he tempts you with something that's real obvious, uh, you're not going to bite into it. So he'll lure you away with distractions, leaving you no time to carry out God's will. He will tempt you so you will fill your schedule with good things. You have no time for God's best. And I read a survey that should be up on the screen there for you about an article. It's 10 reasons that people were uh, not attending church or attending church less frequently. And, and I noticed it. Actually, we have three services, actually four services, three services on the campus that I attend, and then we have one satellite. And I started noticing that I would see certain people like one Sunday a month, and guess what Sunday that was? The day they were serving. <laughs> And so then I read this article, and it says that there's ten reasons. It says people attending church less because greater influence, money gives them more options, more options of things that they can do. They're a higher focus on kids' activities. Now, we live in a kid's mecca in Southern Pines. I mean, there's all kinds of activities and stuff for kids to do. So that's another distraction. There's more travel time. There's blended and single-parent families, which can be a, a challenge. When, when the kids are with one parent this weekend and they're with another parent the next weekend, it makes it hard for those families to be fully engaged in being in church. There's online options. I mean, you don't even have to get in the car. You can just pop, pop the computer on or TV on and watch Pastor Willie on the Internet or you know, watch whoever your favorite preacher is on the Internet. There's online options that people can look at. Uh, disappearance of guilt. This should never have been a motivation for people anyway, but back in my day, if you didn't go to church, well, buddy, you were something wrong with you. If you weren't in church on Sunday, you either backslid or something happened. And then there's self-directed spirituality. An example is like Google. Now you can pop anything in Google and It'll pull up literally the scripture, the verse, all the references. And I don't recommend that you do that, but, but people can do that. And then there's a failure to see the direct benefit of being in fellowship with, with God's people. See, we're the temple of God, and there's a deposit that each one of us carry that's a gift that brings a contribution to the body. And when your gift is not there and your gift is not working and your gift is not giving expression, then the body's missing out on a vital part. Now, I really enjoyed the worship. This is my first time in that church today, and I'm like, man, we can worship all day. I don't even have to preach. This is like ministering to my soul, just worshiping and singing to the Lord and being in his presence. 
And God's downloading and ministering to you during those worship times. And so sometimes people fail, fail to see the direct benefit of being in church. And then uh, valuing attendance over engagement, meaning if I just show up once a month, I don't really have to like be involved in small groups or serving or any of that kind of stuff. I can just show up for kind of once a month. And then there's massive cultural shifts. I was talking to one of my coworkers the other day uh, uh, about my sermon, and uh, and I said, how long are our services? And our services are probably like 64 minutes long. And uh, and uh, and she was saying like, yeah, it's like a, it's like an hour <laughs> and some minutes, and we went over like 15 minutes last Sunday. I'm like, wait a minute, one hour in God's presence, and we're disappointed that we had to spend a few extra minutes. You see how culture is shifting. You see how culture is shifting. There's so many other things that pull for our attention and pull for our time. And, and I'm sad to say, but a lot of strong church people are starting to feel like we got to get in here and get out of here quick. And I want to know what else are you filling your time with? What else are you filling your time with that could be better than the presence of the Lord? Inquiring in his temple, seeking his face, encouraging his people, letting him use you not to just be a recipient, to be a, but to be a giver of the blessings that he's deposited inside of you. There's a, there's a little saying that goes like this. It says, pursuit proves passion. Pursuit proves passion. And I want to give you an example of this. There's a, a coach in a high school in, a, in our church, and I asked him what does he require of his football players. I didn't even hear like sports. Okay, about one-third of it. So the rest of you just hang on with this illustration here, okay? All right. He says that it, as a standard rule, uh, one standard rule is don't well, – I'm sorry, let me back up. To be a part of the program – these are non-negotiables. He says, if you want to play on my team, these are non-negotiables. The leaders have to uh, go to the elementary schools on Friday morning and lead the kids. The average ordinary players have to volunteer at a triathlon uh, that's put on in the county, uh, I guess, once a year. And uh, they also volunteer at the Optimus football club. If they get a grade below 76 or a C, they must go to study hall. And then one standard rule that the football team has, don't do anything away from us you cannot do in front of us. I like that. I actually like that. In off-season, now this is like vacation time, the boys work out five days a week for one and a half hours a day. During the season, boys practice two hours a day, lift weights three days a week, Watch films 30, minute, 30 minutes a day. Somebody say amen. 30 minutes a day they watch films to prepare for their opponent. To prepare for their opponent. And sometimes I say it grieves me that God's people want a 30-minute sermon 
to prepare them to fight the adversary of their soul. Summer workouts in June and July prior to the official start in August are from 7 a.m. How many of you like getting up early in the morning? 7 a.m. Monday through Thursday. So, pursuit proves passion. If you're willing to pursue something, that's evidence that you're passionate about that thing that you're pursuing. It's evidence to prepare that you're passionate about it. Now, passion determines devotion. If you're passionate, then you're going to be devoted. You're going to show up at those practices. You're going to watch those films. You're going to go read those stories to those kids. That's going to determine, it shows that you're devoted. God wants us to remove the clutter from our lives. And here's a promise that he's given us, Second Chronicles 16, verse 9. I love the scripture. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Wow. What a great promise. What a great promise. God wants to show himself strong to those whose heart is totally devoted to him. And that's why David had such a great testimonial life. That's why he could look at Goliath and say, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's coming against the armies of God? And I mean, he took a a rock, you all, a rock, a rock, and slayed a nine-foot man and then took his head off. I, I, I read that and I says, what kind of heart was in that young boy, maybe 16, 18 years old, that he could have that kind of confidence, that he could go and meet that kind of challenge. Psalms 27, 4 says, The Lord is my rock and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Who am I going to be afraid of? When my enemies come out against me and my foes, they're going to stumble and fall. Saints, that's the kind of uh, confidence God wants us to have in our daily walk. As we go through our life and the challenges that we meet, he wants us to have that same kind of confidence, that same kind of bold faith, not in who we are, but in who our God is, that we can slay the giants in our lives. We can slay the giants in our schools. We can slay the giants in our colleges. The eyes of the Lord are roaming through the earth. Now, he's not looking for casual shoppers. He's looking for those whose heart is fully committed and devoted to him, that are loyal to his heart. That's who God's looking for. So what do we need to do? We want to do like David. If I was to look at that verse, Psalms 27, verse 4, it says, uh, one thing I have desired, that means I'm, I'm praying about it. I'm, I'm asking the Lord to make this true in my life. I'm seeking God and saying, Lord, I want to dwell in your house. I don't want to lose your presence. I don't want to be away from your presence. I want you to be with me. I want you to walk with me. He says, I desired 
of the Lord. That means I'm praying about it. I'm asking God to work this thing in my life till it becomes established and a reality in me. Does everybody know the 23rd Psalm? It's one of the greatest confessions, declaration, prayers, and it shows how David's view of God was, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters and restores my soul. And I don't know if you've ever needed your soul to be restored, but I tell you, that's a dark place to be in. If you've never been there, I pray to God you never have to go there. He says, God restores his soul. That's the kind of relationship that we can have with the God that we serve. He doesn't want to be distant or far away from us. He wants to be near to us. He says, I desire this, so I'm praying about it, I'm seeking it, that I may dwell in his house all the days of my life. All the days of my life. Now, this was a, a king. This was a king. I want you to get the difference. See, we think it's all right as people that can't hardly make it and they're struggling and, you know, just barely getting along talk about the Lord like that. But this was a king, man that probably had it all. Because this is my number one desire, the thing I want most from God. Because I want to behold the beauty of the Lord. I just want to see his beauty. When you come to church and you get in God's presence uh, and you hear the testimonies of what God's doing in other people's lives and you hear the stories and you hear an encouraging word and the worship just washes over you. You may have had a lousy, lousy week and you can get in God's presence and he just washes over you. I had one instance I thought about. Um, I had really, I mean, it was really like an oppressive thing that had been weighing on me for days and days and days, and I just couldn't shake it. And one of, one of my, our staff at work, when I got to work that morning, uh, well, she sent me an email and said, David, the Lord has had me praying for you. And long story short, she just shared some things with me, and man, it just broke that oppressive thing I was dwelling on and thinking about just broke it off my life. Anybody ever had that happen, experienced that? And the peace of God replaced all that mental oppression and confusion and stuff. That's the beauty of God. Somebody that doesn't, doesn't even have to be thinking about you, and God taps them on the shoulder and says, pray for David. Pray for David. He needs somebody to hold him up. That's the beauty of the Lord, that we have access to. And then you can inquire in his temple. You can ask God, and he says, I'll make your pathway straight. I'll make your pathway straight. There's decisions you want to make, and you definitely want to make them out of the counsel and wisdom of God, directions in life, who you're going to marry, uh, where you're going to work, all those kinds of things. God wants to direct your path, college students. I heard there's a lot of college students here today. So what can we do? Psalms 91 is God's response to the kind of heart he's looking for. Part of this is kind of a prophetic thing about Jesus, but, but we can, can, can embrace this passage too. 
and this is the Lord speaking, says, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I, I just love it. I, I don't know about you, but I just love reading God's word, and it just speaks to me. It just leaps out. It says, I will deliver him. I will set him on high. That means prosper you, honor you, give you favor, position in life. Because he has known my name, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to get answers. Somebody say amen. That's good preaching if I have to say so myself. It's one thing to pray. It's another thing to get answers. And God says when you set your love on him, he's going to hear you, but not just hear you. He's going to answer. He's going to answer your prayer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. <laughs> Hallelujah. That is so good. That is so good. So my encouragement for us today is, and, and I'll be the first to raise both my hands. I've had lots and lots of stuff in my life, lots of opportunities to do good things, but God is saying simplify Get rid of some of that activity and start focusing on the one thing. And that's seeking his presence. And out of that, there'll be things that God will lead you to do. David still had to lead a nation. <laughs> I mean, he still had to conquer enemies. He still had to do a whole lot of stuff. He didn't just sit in the temple all day playing that harp. But the thing is, he desired the presence of the Lord and because of that attitude of his heart, God was with him and led him and guided him and delivered him out of all of his struggles and different things that he came up against. He says, I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and I will honor him. I will honor him. There's a scripture I want to read just in way of getting ready to close here. Um, in Second. Timothy chapter 3. It's a comparison to a life you could live like pursuing God as your one and only desire and the, the pull of the age that we're living in. 2 Timothy 3, 4 says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful, they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religiously, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So there's two pulls. There's the pull of the Holy Spirit that wants us to be devoted to God, pursuing him and his ways, and he says he will honor us, he'll raise us up. And there's the pull of the world, and I think from just reading that, you could say that's the six o'clock news. And every day you go to work, you see that portrayed right there from Scripture. And we have the choice that we can dwell in the presence of God. Amen? We can make God our desire. I'm going to ask my wife to come up and uh, we're going to pray. Can she borrow that mic?
Pastor. And we're going to come up and pray for you. And um, and we just want to release and stir up that hunger for God um, in this congregation today. The worship was so beautiful. You guys are so beautiful. I love that there's so many young people here. And I really want you to grab a hold of this message because the world is sure trying to pull you in a direction that I say, and I'm going to be bold and say, God didn't want you to go. And so you've got to be discerning the voice of the Lord and the voice of the world. You've got to be able to distinguish who's speaking to you. Amen? Does that make sense, ladies and gentlemen? You've got to be able to discern, is this the voice of the Lord? Is this opportunity or this path or choice that's lying before me, is it the voice of the Lord that's drawing me or is it the enticement of the world that's trying to distract me? You've got to be able to discern that. We just want to pray with you this morning. Would you just bow your heads this morning? Hallelujah. Father, we just worship you today. We thank you, God, for your presence in this place. Father, I just acknowledge that you're good. Your name is holy and your name is to be reverenced. We want to honor you above all else. We want to glorify you above all else. We pray today, Holy Spirit, that you are drawing people to yourself. Lord, we have nothing to offer, and we can't give anybody anything, but you have everything, Lord. If you open a heart today, Lord, someone that may be seeking Jesus, but they haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ, we pray that you would touch them this morning. If that's you this morning, if if you're in that place where you want to know God more, you want to invite, maybe you've never asked him to, to be Lord in your life. We want to extend that opportunity today. While our heads are bowed, uh, if you could just kind of raise your hand. I just want to just see that so I can agree and acknowledge with you today.